0: The next morning, I get a phone call from a supervisor with LA Center. I'm not going to use his name, but he basically tells me that he made a copy of the radar tape for me and sent me the copy of the radar tape. And the reason why, he said later, they had a meeting with the higher echelon, or I'll call it the xoco whatever. And after they came out of that meeting, emergency meeting, all the data around the tape was corrupted, but I had a copy of it.
1: Welcome to Merged. I'm Ryan Graves. Today, we're joined by Mark Hulsey. Mark's been a pilot since he's been 16 years old and flown everything from seaplanes to corporate jets to the F-18 Hornet. He has over 12,000 flight hours and he's a designated pilot examiner by the FAA. Mark, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me.
0: Oh, thanks for having
1: me. Appreciate it. Um, If you wouldn't mind, uh, would you mind introducing yourself and just telling us a little bit about um, why you're here today?
0: Uh, yeah, my name is Mark Halsey. I'm a retired Marine uh, F-18 pilot and a commercial pilot now for a private tech billionaire. And I saw some pretty interesting things a few months back, and okay. uh, that's why I'm here.
1: Very cool. So that was while you were flying uh, over the United States? That was just off the coast of California
0: at uh, 47,000 feet in the middle of the night, about okay. 12 midnight.
1: Very cool. All right, well, we'll get back to that, but uh, maybe we could tell me about uh, when you joined the Navy. What year was it?
0: I joined the Marine Corps back in 1987 as an enlisted Marine, yeah. and, uh, went to meteorology school, became a meteorologist in the Marine Corps, and then uh, got stationed in Iwakuni, Japan, mm-hmm. and when I got back, my second duty station was Kaneurei Bay, Hawaii, oh, and very nice. um, I started flying helicopters there and finished out my commercial rating and flew helicopter tours on the side while I was based in Hawaii.
1: So you did helicopters and fixed wing? Yes. Very cool
0: um well i got out of the marine corps went in the reserves and i stayed in hawaii for about five years flying helicopter tours okay and then um one day i just decided i'm not going to do it anymore i want to fly jets so i quit my job i mm-hmm. went to Embry riddle and i did uh two years of college in a or four years of college in about a year and a half so mm-hmm. i had the highest credits ever (laughs) attempted i had 42 college credits in one semester oh
1: wow that's crazy yeah
0: well it it took a lot of uh johnny walker red label wrapped around term papers (laughs) handing it to the instructors um but i got through everybody got through they're all retired Mm -hmm. military so they got me through there um i went to uh officer candidates course finished there and went to the basic school yep and then um did the same path you did we went to um API down in Pensacola, Florida. Yep. I wound up in Corpus Christi for primary. And since I had so much flight training, uh, I had more helicopter and fixed wing time than any of the instructors I was flying with. Mm. So they put together a program where uh, each of my flights counted for two and a half flights. Oh, and great. that way, uh, it was good and bad because if I did good, I got one above would equal two and a half above. But if I got a below, one below in the entire training session, I wouldn't be a, a fighter pilot. So yeah. graduated there, went to Kingsville, and then from there went to uh, Selected Hornets and went to the fleet.
1: Awesome, uh, what coast were you on?
0: Uh, I was on the uh, east coast for most of the time.
1: Okay, and so you guys were flying off the the eastern seaboard?
0: Yeah, I was off of, uh, out of um, Beaufort, South Carolina, Marine Air Station there.
1: Okay. And so then that- we did
0: a lot of debts down in Key West, and mm. you know, we came out to the west coast and, and out to Yuma for debts. And, Things like that.
1: Any combat deployments? No, just when I enlisted. When I mm-hmm. was
0: enlisted, I was over in Desert Shield, Desert Storm,
1: as a, as a infantryman. As, yes, wow. as a
0: ground personnel. I actually worked with the Harrier units at the time, loading uh, napalm and cluster bombs on the Harriers on oh, wow. uh, King Abdulaziz That's, Air Base.
1: Did that motivate you to to? Oh yeah. want to fly jets later? Oh yeah, because yeah. I was already
0: a helicopter pilot at the time. Yeah, and I really loved the jet. I really loved the Harrier. Until I learned more about it, but it was a really, was a really cool jet, really cool concept. <laughs> yeah. But uh, coming back, they used to show us motivational videos. They'd come back and they'd show these videos of them um, doing their uh, missions. Yeah. They'd, uh, oh, the and,
1: guys would come back and yeah, be like, hey, yeah.
0: All the ground guys, they put it up on the tents oh, and they put the, the videos up on the tents and we'd get to watch awesome. what our work was over there. It was pretty cool.
1: Very cool, yeah, that's exciting. Nothing really motivates you actually seeing the work that gets done. It's oh, hard absolutely. to communicate, you know. You film it or, you know, like in the new Top Gun movie, you get to see it, but, you know, what they don't show you is like all the mental work that goes into it, the tactics, the things you're looking at, the scan. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Well, the pilot
0: gets all the glory. <laughs> Ever, all the work behind the scenes is all done by us. By the you Absolutely, know, the that's
1: guys. right, yep. Loading the weapons, uh, mm-hmm. loading the jets, I mean, God forbid, on an aircraft carrier, The the folks that are out on top on the surface in the Gulf are exposed to extreme temperatures while they have all their safety gear on. So, yeah, those guys uh, put in 18-hour days uh, to make those jets fly.
0: Absolutely, the pilot gets all the glory.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So when you were flying off the Eastern Seaboard or really anywhere else in your career, did you have any weird experiences flying that you didn't have an explanation for?
0: Yeah, one that really comes to mind, and it didn't, I had flashbacks on it after what happened off the coast of California. But what happened off of Buford was we were out doing um, BVR intercepts. and we got Beyond a,
1: visual range? Yeah,
0: I'm sorry, beyond visual range intercepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were on CAP and we got a call from Sea Lord. And they asked us, this is after, right after 9-11, and they asked us if we can intercept an aircraft that wasn't talking. They had picked up a... An aircraft on the
1: okay. radar so sea lord like the the radar uh control facility that would like looks out over the ocean essentially uh, so they were yes. saying hey someone something's either coming toward or stationary out there that shouldn't be there
0: yeah they were so an aircraft was coming in the adiz there uh air aircraft or, uh, air defense, air
1: defense interdiction. yeah, yeah okay. is it interdiction I, or i, 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 I think know. it's i'm not sure i have to look at that i think air it's defense
0: identification zone probably um, figure it out. It's been a long time. <laughs> uh, so we went ahead and, you know, being fighter pilots, we're like, heck, yeah, man, this is what we're trained yeah. to do. So we went into, being a Hornet pilot, you know, we went into a single target track. We found this guy, STT'd him, and um, we jumped. He was uh, down around 5,000 feet from what I recall. We were up at 25,000 feet, okay. which is standard for doing BVR intercepts. Yep. So um, we found him. Uh, we pushed down to below 5,000, so our radars were looking up. Because mm-hmm. we didn't want to be scrambled with the, you know, looking down for ground clutter into the, into the water. What radar was this? Uh, the APG 73 at okay. the time. Um, so we got down, we STT'd him, and then uh, we went in for the VID visual identification. Mm-hmm. And then, probably at about five miles prior to intercept, mm-hmm. um, the track stopped on our radar. It just came to a halt, I and mean, there was no closure rate anymore. Hmm. and then it just maintained the same distance as we were close, And we were over Mach 1. I mean, we were an afterburner in the blower and going over Mach 1 trying to intercept this thing. Wow, yeah. And it just stopped, and it stayed there. Relative to your aircraft? Relative to our, well, on the radar, because we never got visual sighting of it. It just stayed there. And the next thing you know, it just started moving away from us, and it just basically flew off the screen.
1: So it would have had to have matched your airspeed at least to say stationary on your radar, correct? If well, I understand ab- this well, correctly. Well, absolutely.
0: But what really got us was the closure rate that we were, I mean, we were having a massive closure rate on yep. this thing. And then it just stopped almost instantly on the radar. Wow. And then it stayed there for a short period of time and then it just disappeared off the radar. And we thought nothing of it, mm. you know, because we never experienced anything like that. We yeah. thought, well, maybe it was a glitch. You know, I mean, you, you flew, you know what happens. You get glitches, yep. you get ghost, ghost images. Um, and then, uh, sealer came back and said, you know, they, they don't have track of it anymore. So mm. we just came back and it just came, became a debrief item. Yeah. We never even talked about it. It's not even something we brought up in the old club afterwards. It just came a debrief, a debrief item because it was cool. It was, hey, that's our mission. You know, we yeah. get to, we're going to get to go in, uh, air and something. It was awesome. But
1: yeah, it turned out to be nothing. Did um, you talk to any of your squadron mates about it?
0: Yeah. Other people had had I- similar instances where yeah. they see someone on the radar and they'd go to run them down and. The thing would disappear or run off the radar but it wasn't really you know people didn't really talk about it too much outside the squadron outside yeah. of a debrief you know we didn't really talk about it much in the ready rooms it was just part of a debrief item yep. usually why um, do you think that was you know i i don't want to say it was lack of education on it but i just think that you know being a fighter pilot especially in a training the training capacity you've got too much other stuff thinking about to, to put your mental ability to focus on hey what was going on out there. It's basically, hey, this is what we did. You know, you go through your debrief, and that's all you really care about. Everybody's yep. just trying to get the, get the X for the day. Exactly. So nobody really cared about it. Yep. We talked about it, but it, like I said, it was a debrief item. Never mm-hmm. even thought about it until years later.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about uh, contacting the radar facility or, or following up with them in any sense? Not at that time,
0: mm-hmm. not at all. And they never reached out to us either. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, HUD tapes were basically just thrown back in the... Uh, in the s2 and the and the uh Recycled. intel and they just recycle them yep. as you know with the bricks and everything they just recycle them yeah we wouldn't keep anything
1: yep interesting
0: which is a shame nowadays you know it would have been nice to have some of those radar tapes
1: mm-hmm.
0: to analyze
1: now you would think if it was important enough to send a, a a military aircraft to go intercept and i assume you didn't have any weapons or anything on no. your aircraft. no, right? no we,
0: we had cadm nines captive yep. aim mines as you know
1: yep so non-explosive um ir seeking close range missiles essentially. Correct. Uh, But these are not designed to leave the aircraft because it's just for training purposes. Um, Okay. Um, So they just kind of sent you out there to ID it. Um, Now, I would think that since it was in the the AIDAs, it was worth investigation at that point that it it would be worth following up on that and seeing where those came from or if there is some type of problem on our coastline.
0: Well, you know, thinking back on it, what I found was what was weird was why did they send two unarmed fighter planes to go when they could have sent, launched somebody out of Langley or somewhere F-15s or something that could have done an Mm -hmm. intercept or I think the F-22 Raptor was operating out of there also so if it was some kind of threat I don't know if they considered it a threat since it was low altitude at 5,000 around Mm -hmm. 5,000 feet but no
1: that was something that was brought up. Could it have been just maybe like a Cessna or something do you think? No No, with Jado bottles on it on the wings (laughs) no there's
0: no there's a I don't know what it was. I'd love to be able to tell you. I'd mm-hmm. love to have an explanation on what it was. But mm-hmm. like I said, it turned into a debrief item. I mean, never really even thought about it until after my, my encounter mm-hmm. years later.
1: Did anyone in your command
0: structure get wind of it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody. I mean, we told people about what happened, but
1: Nobody cared. Any, any thoughts to a, a safety report? I know I'm not trying to like say why no. did, you didn't do more but no, I, abs- cause I completely get it. But yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. There
0: was no safety stand. there was nothing. Mm-hmm. nothing it basically became a debrief item and you know, somebody would say ask what happened out there or somebody else would see something and, but nobody really talked about it because mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't anything that we really cared about.
1: If you could have changed that scenario, how would you do it differently? Do you think it would be like a squadron-level reporting, you yeah, think, well, there or would communication have been, with the tower, perhaps, You on know, uh, the radar? It would have been
0: great if we would have been able to keep all radar tapes mm. and have them copied for mm. further analysis. It's kind of a, like a um,
1: correlation after a fact between what the radar facility was seeing and what the, the pilots were seeing in real time.
0: That would have been nice. It would also have been nice for, to have an uh, all-pilots meeting um, through the MAG, Marine Aircraft Group, just to tell the pilots, hey, if you encounter something out there, you know, some kind of reporting system would have been great, mm-hmm. just to let anybody else know this is what we're seeing out there. That would have been that would have been a really uh, helpful thing to have.
1: No, no TAMS or anything though.
0: Mm, yeah, no, nothing at yeah. all. It was never even mentioned, mm-hmm. ever. Like I've never seen anything flying in the military that where anybody's ever said, "Hey, we're we're seeing unidentified aircraft out there." Yeah. What year was this? This happened in about 2002, I believe. Okay, roughly somewhere around there. 2002 is the best of my recollection somewhere around there. Interesting. When Sea Lord reached out and asked us to do a, a visual ID intercept because yeah. they were they had a target out there that wasn't talking to them or squawking.
1: Squawking is squawking. a friend or foe? Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: for squawking, like a transponder. So mm-hmm. every aircraft, is especially coming into the United States from the ADIZ, is given a specific transponder code so they know what aircraft it is. And this didn't have a transponder code. It wasn't Got squawking. It. Uh, low altitude. Um, it wasn't relatively fast um, coming towards the coast of the United States. Hmm. So when we intercepted it, that's why we're like, this is great. You know, we jumped out of 25,000 feet, lit the blowers and went down below it. So our radar's looking up instead of down into mm-hmm. the water. And um, we got within probably about five miles, like I said, and it just stopped on our radar. And the thing about it is we did have a TD box around it. You did? So, yeah, when we were in STT, we had
1: a TD box around it. Did you have it on your radar before you went into STT, which for those that may not be aware, it's just kind of a more concentrated radar mode that the APG73 could get into. So did you have to really like target it to like get enough energy there to see it, or was uh, it just kind of on your radar?
0: No. we uh, They told us where it was. So once we committed, uh, I'm going to have a hard time remembering terminology. It's been so many years. But basically they gave us... uh, um, I believe our we were using Vegas as a uh, as a waypoint right okay. for home, so they is our main point, so they were giving us intercepts off of Vegas to Got do it. this intercept yeah. and then um, we picked it up on our radar and we went started looking down scanning down and looking in the two uh, two bar four whatever it was mm-hmm. the concentrated one and then once we hit it we went to SDt on it and then we locked it up it. and that 's when we jumped out of out of 25,000 feet and just scream down to the water. And Mm -hmm. it was a race to know who was going to be down, who was going to be the shooter, who the V-I-D, eyeball (laughs) and shooter, right? Um, And then uh, we ran to intercept these guys. And like I said, at about five miles, um, it just stopped on the radar, just completely stopped. When that happened,
1: what was the relative aspects?
0: Well, the weird, if you remember on... Um, radar on the APG-73. The reason why you jumped into the notch is because the dot, the radar. If you jump in the notch, you disappear, right? Because if there's nothing moving, so that was another. That was another question that popped out. Like, well, how could that be if it's just
1: sitting on the radar? But because radar typically they are reflecting energy off a of moving object. Ab- absolutely. Um, so if it's saying completely stationary relative to you know aircraft, that would be more difficult to see. So it's it's interesting that you continued to see it. Absolutely. Hmm. And then it moved away from us, and it, out, it just moved right off the screen. Was it showing a, a target aspect? Could you kind of tell your relative? Oh yeah, it had an directions? aspect. Vector.
0: I absolutely had an aspect vector on it. We were right out. I mean, we were going right for it. We you real, of, you merged with it. We were coming right for the merge. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
1: we were doing the, the eyeball shooter eyeball. Yep. And so VID. yeah, and then you just never got there, right? Because it never got there because it stopped. Where you were heading at least, right?
0: Well, we, I mean, we put a direct intercept on it. Yeah, I mean, it was coming. We were going right down the pipe at it, mm-hmm. and it stopped. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And okay. it just flew off from us, and then we never thought anything about it. We're like, okay, it's gone. The target, the TD box. I remember it started flashing, and it just, the thing just disappeared. It was one of those. Yeah, flash, and then it. Yeah.
1: Um, yep. Did it? Was there any altitude change that you nope, remember?
0: Absolutely zero altitude change. Okay. At the same altitude. The only thing that changed was the aspect vector of it. Right. It came out and turned around and went away, but it didn't. Remember on the radar, I don't know if we could talk about this, but remember on the radar, it shows you the aspect vector of the target, right? Yep. It's got the, that never, that never changed. That aspect vector never changed, which was really strange. Okay.
1: So it was pointing towards you. Towards us. Yep. And so you know what that would represent is you coming nose to nose with that object. Uh, and then it, it essentially went in reverse while that target aspect was po- still pointed at you. Yes. Wow. That's really strange. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that is, that is very interesting. Hmm. When we were seeing the objects off the east coast in the in the twenty you know fourteen timeframe, I could recognize the the object on the radar because they we we have the target aspect and now this is in the APG seventy nine, um, and we would see the target aspect, but it would move. And normally in an aircraft, you know, it's putting along and you and you see that target aspect move. Smooth just like the aircraft is moving essentially, but this one would be very jagged uh, or jumpy, it would kind of like skip around and it would, on average, seem to be flowing in a direction based off of that target aspect. So it'd be moving in this general direction, but the target aspect would still kind of be moving around because of that jerky target aspect. That's how I could look on the radar and be like, That's probably one of those things you know that we've been seeing. And because of that, the freeze up the target aspect that's even more interesting to me, I think, because that means it's. I don't know what that means. I don't either. Yeah.
0: I don't either. Hmm. Yeah, just some, like I said, there's a lot of, you, they, you call them radar anomalies, you call it whatever you want, but the fact that we weren't able to get a
1: visual ID on it is what really sucks, but, you know. Well, five miles, you know, that's that's not too far away. Nope. And you had the the TD box, so you knew where to look. Um, oh, yeah, it's right in the HUD. Yep. Right in the HUD. Uh, yep, because you're coming nose on. And Absolutely. that's the position I've been in, in the... Um, with the jehemix Joint Helmet Mounted Queuing System. So I had, I, did you ever fly with no, that? No, that was way before my no. time. So I had you know, pretty much all the same tools, but then there's the helmet as well, which really just plays the role of the HUD when I look away from it. So if I'm looking at the HUD, there's nothing on my visor. And if I look away from the HUD, now that information that was on the HUD is now on my visor. So it kind of moves with me. And when you're coming up to that merge, your nose on and it would be in your HUD. And then as that, that merge consummates, uh, that person, the the relative velocity takes off, right, um, and it, and that box kind of moves up and past, or however however you actually merge with it. And I so I would see the TD box on the objects we were seeing, and it would be right in front, just like yours was. And I would then it would eventually come past on the actual merge itself, and nothing was there. We couldn't see anything, but we still see it on the FLIR, we still see it on the radar, and we could even circle back and still see it. They didn't just disappear when we merged with them. Um, and we didn't obviously have the fuel or anything to continuously do that. But so, yeah. Interesting. But you never visually were able to- I personally was not able to visually see it. Over time, you know, people in my squadron and other squadrons would visually see that. And it seemed to happen when um, it was unintentional in a sense. Um, when we specifically like, hey, let's go check this thing out. At least for me, right? I never saw one. And I did that 100% of the time. And I know other squadron mates that were in the same position. Um, and I hope to interview some of them about this. Uh, but there were others that were surprised and had near mit- meters with these objects, and they were v- able to visually see them. So,
0: when you had them come down your aircraft, what was your? How close were they to you? Uh,
1: within fifty feet is our best estimate for one of the first times we saw. And you could not so they were they were visually well, stealthy. I'm think? saying the one they visually saw was about fifty feet away. Uh, well, how about you? Were they visually personally? When anything? I came to the merge, you know, you know, trying to respect the five hundred foot safety bubble, essentially. Um, and you know that's very close. I mean, I should be able to see a bird. You know, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So we weren't seeing anything.
0: Yeah, and the, the difference in ours was it would would never let us get close to it. Mm. I mean, the thing just stopped and then flew away from us. Yeah, We're that's never a able to get behavior. close to it, which is really it weird. Didn't
1: turn away, right? Like there was no like turn there was radius? no
0: turn aspect. There was nothing. The thing just stopped on the radar, mm. just completely stopped on the radar, and then moved off straight ahead, straight away, not at an angle. Not uh, any other direction, no, asp- no aspect change, no altitude delta, nothing. Mm. It just moved away from
1: us in the same direction we were traveling. I, this is this is interesting, right? So you, it was on your radar and the target aspect was facing you. And what that means is like essentially that's representative of an aircraft just coming at you, trundling along, flying nose to nose at you. And then what we typically expect to see if one of these aircraft was going to move, it would essentially turn right like you would see it turn through 180 degrees and essentially fly in the opposite direction right we do that all the time right we we call it various things but we fly away to you know try to run away from missiles or enemies and things of that nature Um, the fact that the target aspect didn't change is is interesting to me because we had a, a case off the coast of jacksonville florida which is very close to the area it's not too far at all. It's yeah. just south of... It's uh, in between the two where the gimbal was videotaped and where we we're having the, the daily issues off of Virginia Beach. It's right in the middle of those two, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we saw the gimbal object, it, we saw it on our situational awareness page, and that's a God's eye view of everything that's happening. Did you have that page mm-hmm. when you were flying? Okay. Absolutely. And so the gimbal object, when we observed its movement on the SA page, it simply went in one direction and... Just like what you described, no turn radius or anything, it just simply went in the other direction. Um, The target aspect in this case on this radar, perhaps ABG 79 uh, was able to see the stuttering of the target aspect. I wonder since you were able to essentially zoom in with your radar with the ABG 73, so you were putting more energy into that piece of the sky, you were able to see these objects, perhaps when the target aspect didn't change and it went in the opposite direction, maybe it performed the same type of vertical turn that the gimbal object.
0: It, you know, it probably did. could have. Uh, you know, if you think about it in layman's terms, it's like somebody, two cars doing a head-on collision, right? And all of a sudden the car you're, you're getting ready to run in head-on just basically is going in the, going in the same direction, 180 degrees opposite direction instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So aircraft, as you know, can't do that. Only aircraft that can do that are like helicopters, but helicopters can't fly that fast, right? They're limited to about 180 knots. Mm-hmm. I think the fastest one of the world's like 210 knots or something. Um, we were going, you know, Mach 1 inter- to intercept this, yeah. and it's the closure rate on it was well over Mach 1 on a closure rate. And there's nothing out there that could have done that. There's, do you remember what it was? I don't remember what the closure rate was. It's too long ago. But I know I was over Mach 1 on the Got intercept. It. So it was coming in at you at some,
1: you know, velocity. Well, oh,
0: absolutely. Got it. I mean, the closure rate was pretty darn quick. Um, and then for it just to stop instantaneously. I know if I were to stop going Mach 1 instantaneously, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be dead. Yeah. Right? It's probably yeah. like jumping off the Golden Golden Gate Bridge and hitting the water in like concrete. You'd be dead. Your organs rip apart. Yeah. Um, but it just literally stopped right away. It didn't, you know, when you're asking about uh, velocity intercepts, what I remember from that day was, It didn't slow down. We didn't see it slow down at all. It just stopped, and just stayed there, and then continued off the other other direction. And for and you think about this for an object, and you know this as a fighter pilot, for an object to go from stationary to greater than Mach one to run away, especially, I mean, it would take something like it would take some kind of missile, um, uh, like in. AMRAM missile or something, mm-hmm. you know, something yeah, like that's a Yeah, jet- missile behavior. That's yeah, not how an aircraft to, can To run away,
1: right? Yeah. right? And at that those altitudes, you're not gonna be speeding up very quickly unless no, you're descending or, or doing anything like that. Not it's around five thousand exactly. feet.
0: I mean that air is so thick there's there's no way. I mean you can't even you can't even hit the you gotta do the Rakowski climb even on a to the part to, yep. to make, make Mach one, right?
1: Yep. Remember that? Yep. That so that's a, a climb at least in the Charlie where you actually have to level off uh, every so often you regain speed to climb at an optimal fuel rate. In the F eighteen or in the uh, the Super Hornet, uh, the newer variant of the the, the Charlie Delta models, uh, our Vartuzky climb is essentially just a, a steady rate climb at a at a fixed pitch, slightly different.
0: Path. Yeah, we would take off. You would take off. I did a lot of red air, so yeah. I would always inter, uh, I'd always be the uh, deck launch intercept right for trainers.
1: So, yep. so that's being pretending to yep. be the bad guys for for the. The blue air, the friendly fighters, your squadron mates, or other squadrons.
0: Absolutely. So you take off, and we'd get up to about eight or ten thousand feet, and then you nose over,
1: hit Mach one, and then you maintain Mach one to climb. So that that was ours. Super Hornet (laughs) cannot climb and over Mach. Yeah, (laughs) that's for sure. Yeah. At least with the uh, external tank on and everything else. So yeah, this is that's some certainly some interesting behavior. Would you expect any other assets that we had in two thousand and two to behave like that? I mean, of course, helicopters drones perhaps I mean, there's
0: no drones can't fly that fast mm-hmm. it's impossible right and even if drones could fly that fast you'd see an aspect change if they were going to turn Yep. right true you'd see it and, and it was in 2000 yeah and they didn't have any kind of drones or anything that would have done it at that time there's not even i mean even the f-22 raptor uh well first of all we wouldn't have seen him on radar right <laughs> f-22 raptor um they wouldn't there's no way because that thing we would have seen him turn mm-hmm. and um could they have run ran away from us oh absolutely you mm-hmm. know that but we would have seen him we'd have seen him turn and the sea lord wouldn't have sent us out there to intercept it either that's true. right absolutely they would have known he was out there
1: how far off the coast was it again uh
0: it was right by the adiz so you know just over t- about 12 mile- 14 15 miles off the coast is what i believe was that
1: actually in your working areas
0: yeah it's actually in the whiskey area it was yeah okay. yep. absolutely interesting
1: yeah well how about we skip ahead a little bit um, maybe we can talk a little bit if you wouldn't mind just kind of provide a little background about what your flying career looks like now? Yeah, so,
0: you know, I retired from the Marine Corps and I got, went to work for, I've been always flying tech billionaires uh, for these big companies. And then um, I, have, uh, I, I flew for uh, a bunch of the big uh, guys up in the Bay, Silicon Valley. Uh, 737s, typed in 737s and multiple Gulfstream citations, mm. uh, hold single, um, multi, and helicopter ATP ratings, uh, CFI, double I, uh, just became a designated pilot examiner for the FAA, So, which means uh, I can yeah. give pilots their, uh, people their pilot's license, go out and give them check rides and actually Very issue good. pilots ratings. Um, have an aeronautical science degree, meteorology and communications degree from Member Riddle Aeronautical University. Uh, attended the, um, Aviation safety, uh, accident investigation with oh, yeah, the uh, okay, with the Marine okay. Corps and Navy with, through the Navy school. down in Pensacola. Yeah, in Pensacola. I oh, went okay. yeah, to the
1: same course.
0: Yeah, it was great. Great course. <laughs> it's,
1: yeah, it's very good training.
0: I served under General Trotman and done multiple investigations of, of different things, like one we talked about of the F eighteen Hornet uh, dropping a bomb on a on a man tower down in in um, Australia. Wow! So I've got a lot of experience in aviation assets and multiple aircraft i mean i fly multiple aircraft to this day Um, maybe that's why your clients trust you i hope (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i actually have uh i fly with my identical i have an identical twin brother oh (laughs) yeah he was uh he was a marine white house marine so him and i fly together right now so we're i think we're the only twins uh who actually work together flying for a company anywhere
1: (laughs) interesting yeah we had two twins in uh Murdy, Mississippi. When I was instructor there uh, for the T forty five Hawk, we had two twin students, and they split them into the two different squadrons. I, I still think it was some type of test, but I don't know. I How don't do you know, the know they weren't were. swapping? Like, yeah, swapping exactly. good at instrument, <laughs> you know. Bi. Do you have any, any brother swapping stories you'd like to share? Oh no, not Twins? at this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very no, good. We had some fun growing up. Yeah,
0: yeah we have had a lot of fun. But uh, my my brother has to wear a goatee, so the boss oh, yeah, t- that, the boss yeah. can tell. Oh, he's him the apart. evil twin then. Yeah, that's what everybody calls him. <laughs> Yeah, he wears a goatee so my, my boss can tell us apart instantly as soon as he sees us. Cool, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun flying with him. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my aviation career. I mean, I, I'm still flying today. Um, I still fly today
1: for multiple companies to do a lot of contract work. I've been hearing from a lot of commercial pilots um, that they have been seeing things over the continental United States, over the, the western coast between Hawaii and... Um, and what they've been seeing, at least what I've been communicating with, and of course, I love, we're gonna h- hear what you have to say, but I've been hearing other pilots talk about lights up in the sky, uh, maybe they're in orbit, maybe they're right above the aircraft, it's a little difficult to tell. Um, my first thought is perhaps, you know, it's Starlink or things of that nature. Um, but your story, I understand these objects are moving in ways that really aren't consistent with that. Uh, but yeah, w- w- what did you see? And was it just you, or was there anyone else that saw these objects? Well, as well? we
0: had another pilot in the cockpit that that saw it, but he was uh, he was paying attention to other things in the cockpit. And he of happened course. to look over and see it, and you know he shunned it off. He's not in military, so he assumed it was probably some kind of military aircraft. Mm. Um, the big thing to me, at, I was at forty seven thousand feet, and that's very for hot. for people don't realize airliners, the highest I've ever heard an airliner go was like forty one, but that's extremely rare. They only do it maybe to get over uh, storms Turbulence. or if the jet stream's really strong and, and they want to get up there. But most airliners are between like 28 and 38,000 feet. Yeah. Most of them, right? So we're at 47,000 feet. So we're above everybody. Mm-hmm. The only people that should be above us could be another Gulf Stream at our service ceiling is 51,000 feet. But at 51,000 feet, you're only there. You can only be there maybe the last 20 minutes of a flight. Yeah. And you're not going. Nobody's going to go that high. Nobody yeah. does, um, and you're not going to be able to move. You're not have any maneuverability. I mean, why is that? Well, the air, as you know, the air is super thin. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a either a big surface area, and you're also going to have to have velocity to make up the same amount of lift that you would down a, down. Let's say five thousand feet, right? Mm-hmm. So anytime you make a turn you're reducing that lift. So to return that to, you reduce that lift, you're going to have to add thrust and, and, and pitch, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got to maintain the same, um, the lift to be able to airplane, to be able to fly, to be able to perform the same amount of lift to fly. So okay. but to do that, you're going to lose, you're going to need more power, more thrust, right? So in that turn, at those altitudes, It's going to create more G forces because you're going to have to have more thrust. More, you're going to be pulling more G's to maintain the same energy. Absolutely, so you're going to have to be adding more thrust. And the G forces, you remember turning G forces, how how, turning tight G forces. Right now, if I took a Gulfstream to fifty-one thousand feet, which is higher than I was at forty-seven thousand and try to make a a 180-degree turn or a 360-degree turn, it'd probably cover well over 10-mile radius. It'd be a 10-mile turn, Uh, just because the air is so thin. Because the air is so thin. The aircraft actually goes into what's called half-angle bank turn when you're up that high, and it will not do a standard rate turn. It'll do a half- The computer will stop it. The computer will stop it, because it knows if you do, the airplane's gonna stall, Mm. and it's gonna gonna lose out, it's gonna come out of the sky. So the airplane will not allow you to do that. The, The Gulfstream 650's Pretty smart airplane, it mm-hmm. won't let you stall it. So, to, so you're to, way up there. Yeah, we're, we're really, really high. Yeah. Nobody's above us. And so
1: I've, I haven't even been like that high in a, in a fighter jet. We'd go up there and we mess around and we try to do the same thing and really, really get to the point where if we made any turn, we're gonna just fall out of the sky, essentially.
0: Well, back to when I was in the Marine Corps, I had to take a uh, an A model F-18 Hornet single seat and take it down to, to Jacksonville, Florida, nas jacks well i think they decommissioned at the time but that's where they did all the depot level maintenance so they stripped the f18 down i mean it's super light and had a full bag of gas right and i'm taking off out of buford and it's only like a 35 minute flight down to jacksonville i got a whole bag of gas What am I gonna do? I'm gonna yeah. go out and play, right? Sure. So I took off and I remember I got it up into the high fifties. Yeah. But to be that high, I was in straight level flight and I was in full afterburner just to maintain altitude. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so you could tell that it, it takes so much and afterburn, you remember how much afterburn, how much thrust the afterburner has on a hornet, even though it has a short stubby wing, it took that much thrust just to maintain altitude. The second I pulled the throttle off out of afterburner, the aircraft started to descend. Okay. I couldn't keep
1: altitude. So you're at fifty thousand, or you're at forty-seven thousand feet. Yes. Really, any higher than your aircraft <clears> get, or even you know some of our modern <laughs> fighters. Now I understand, and I'm sure you do too, but you know the F twenty-two, F thirty-five, especially the F twenty-two is maneuverable at higher altitudes. Um, but really, you know, they don't go to the moon. I mean, you're already pretty pretty high up there. Um, do we? So let's take a step back and let's. Okay, we're way up there. And what did you see?
0: So I just happened to look out, and I saw a light circling, and I thought. When I first looked up at it, I'm like, "Well, that's tr- you know, that's pretty strange, and uh, it's got to be another aircraft." Like and a I, big, like kind of
1: well, lazy loop. It was.
0: It, when I first I saw it, it was like a light, and then I saw another one coming behind it, and it was almost two lights doing a 180, like we would do on like a, 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 yeah, a cross circle. Yeah, cross circle, like a, okay. a, a, a two circle flight, right? So I look up and I see it. And I'm like. Oh that's really strange. Mm-hmm. You know, who what's going to be above us, but at that time they weren't turning. It was, you know, I saw one I believe it was coming towards the aircraft and I was and I looked up and I'm like, "Oh wow, there's somebody going above us." And then all So of a sudden, it looked
1: like it was coming like yeah, look, like crossing
0: It looked like it was a crossing crossing, traf- crossing okay. traffic. And then as I'm watching looking at it and I'm going this, all of a sudden another one comes out from over the cockpit. And they were probably in direction. Uh, opposite direction. So 180 so 180, oh, got it, got it. right? And but they were high. They weren't like a couple thousand feet. They were probably eight or ten thousand feet above us. I mean, they were, they were okay. pre- pretty high, right? Yeah. But you have no depth perception at night. That's the problem with it. Yeah. So There's no depth perception. But but what I could tell, they were probably eight to ten thousand feet above us.
1: Perhaps if they were a fighter-sized aircraft or an aircraft like you're you're flying at this moment. No, no idea. Because i you know, I have I see things through like okay, well, I know what an F-18 looks like at this distance, and so that's my like internal compass for things. So I. Kind of wondering, maybe you didn't might have been using any, something. Didn't to, see any
0: shapes or anything. All yeah. I saw
1: was lights. So you're kind of using those two lights to say, "Hey, ba- if they were moving, maybe at the speed that I'm familiar with as a pilot, then they would be eight to ten thousand feet above this aircraft." That, that's about the best judgment I can do because there's no
0: there's yeah. no uh, depth perception. Yeah. There's nothing Very right, and especially at night. You mm-hmm. can't tell. So the first thing I did when I saw it is I looked down at TCAS, Traffic Collision Avoidance System, and I looked down to see if anybody was above us. Okay. And I didn't see anything, so I went into the box and I switched it to above to look to nothing but above, mm. nothing on the box. And then I thought, okay, well, the, you know, these guys, maybe it's military. So what I start thinking, maybe it's some kind of military. And then all of a sudden there were three lights. And then they moved from where they were disappearing over the, over the cockpit. They actually moved in their circular pattern, moved away from the window where I could actually
1: see it look like a racetrack pattern. Uh. So it was a racetrack. It went from they were circling and then they were cross-tracking towards the aircraft, but then they went back away towards the aircraft? They that moved
0: craft? back away from us. Okay. Just at an angle about And you didn't about make any this, turns. Oh, absolutely not. Where we autopilot was on, uh, we were heading, well, I think we were doing like .88 Mach, which is yeah. 8.8 miles a minute, right? Yeah. And then I saw the third one and I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Hmm. So I called air traffic control. And I just asked, hey, is there any military, you know, is there, I got some lights up here. I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, sure. but I basically asked them, hey, what's going on? because have aircraft? You kind of us?
1: expected them that maybe have them on the radar or something. Oh yeah, I yeah. just
0: expected them to come back and say, yeah, there's military conducting operations because it was right off the coast of California, yeah. right? And I thought, well, maybe it's something out of, uh, something launched out of um, uh, what, Edwards Air Force Base or you know, we got Point Magoos over there, maybe mm-hmm. somebody, it might be something going on, right? Vandenberg, Who knows what's going on? Okay. And Air Traffic Control came back and said, "No, no, we have nothing on the radar." Mm. And I'm like, "Wait, is, that's really weird." Yeah. And I asked, I think I asked him if there's any military operations that going on, and she said, "No, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. No military operations in the
1: area." And they would know, right? Like they would they, get contact. They should. Yeah. They should know. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I continued to watch it for a minute, and then a fourth light appeared. Mm. And then, what really got me was. What I thought was a shooting star. This is where it gets a little weird. I thought it was a shooting star, right? Because I'm looking at these things and I'm like, "Oh, awesome!" I get to now. I get to see. I'm looking at the stuff here and I see it looks like a shooting star. Yeah. It actually stopped and joined the formation. And that that's the one that wow. that that's the one that, real. I was like, "What the heck!" I made another call, air traffic control, and told him, "Hey, there's the you know there's five lights now, and one of them just came down from above and joined the formation." Oh. Wow. Um, and then uh, we watched them. It, it happened. It happened for a while. They asked other aircraft if they'd seen it, and nobody. You know, everybody kept saying, "No, we don't see anything." Hmm. So we. I, I don't remember the exact period. It's been such a long time now, um, but it tracked us. And this is something else that was really strange. It wasn't a stationary uh, orbit. It was a moving orbit.
1: So you didn't move past it.
0: No, it followed us. Kind of. Okay. It, they were orbiting, following us. So if they were following us, they had to be whatever the maneuvering speed was for the track, but they were also moving with us at 88 Mach, 0. 0.88 Mach. So that's what was the really it strange really part strange. about it because they were moving along with us. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was the, I mean, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. And it followed along for a while, a, a couple more radio calls to air traffic control. And then um, they they had moved over the cockpit, they moved back out. And then that one time they came back over the cockpit it's the last time I saw them. Mm-hmm. Um Didn't think anything else out. We were getting ready to hit. I think it was called Dinty is a reporting point that when we push off and switch over to to HF freaks to head over to see to head over to Hawaii. Um, so the last time I checked in with with air traffic control, you know, that nobody else was reporting anything. So we get to Maui, and then uh, the next morning I get a phone call from a supervisor with la with uh, la center hmm. and. He, I'm not going to use his name, but he basically tells me that, uh, that he made a copy of the radar tape for me and sent me the copy of the radar tape. He mailed it to me. Awesome. And the reason why, he said later they had a meeting with the higher echelon, or I'll call it the XOCO, whatever. Um, and after they came out of that meeting, emergency meeting, all the data around the tape was corrupted. Hmm. But I had a copy of it. So he also told me that other airline pilots had called in later. Same the same ones that are apparently were on uh, the radio saying they didn't see anything called in after they landed and said yeah they saw something they didn't want their their uh, official watch. record on the on the radar ta- you know on, on the, the radar tape tapes, tapes. absolutely yeah that they didn't want to report it
1: I've heard that before.
0: And I thought that was really strange. So then they gave me, they told me that I was going to be getting a call or gave me a number, said, you're going to be getting a call from this number. And it turned out it's some, I forget what it was. It was some JTOC or a joint uh, air defense, whatever it was, uh, whatever the, the acronym stands for, um, called me. And they debriefed me on it. They want to know exactly what happened. And I told them, uh, it lasted about a 40, 45 minute phone call with these guys. And then, um, then they recommended I call the National UFO Reporting Site just to let them know. That way they can put, use their Freedom of Information Act to pull radar tapes. Mm-hmm. And then they told me that the, uh, uh, my report was going to go into a report going to Congress. So there have been a lot of interesting sites. Then I it. next thing I know, I get a phone call from, or I uh, believe it was a phone call from Ben Hanson um, who had heard about it. And he started talking to me. So about it. Ben? ben Hansen is a um, he's a retired FBI agent and he's a, uh, a UFO researcher paranormal researcher okay. and he started looking into my story he heard about it um, I think through the UFO reporting line he heard about it hmm. and then um, he started investigating and he started trying to pull uh, FOIA Freedom of Information Act to get this information from SoCal TRACON right um, potentially
1: corrupted radar data
0: correct and then I started receiving information from other controllers that bad things would happen to them if they were to come out and talk about the radar tapes of what they saw. Um, and then one of them had told me about just recently, I wish I could pull it up. I forget the name of the, uh, the F-18 squadron. Um, I, I could pull it up later and tell you the name of the F-18 squadron. Yeah. They were out there flying, uh, doing stuff off of Catalina, and they were reporting... Um, underwater activity lights underwater moving at speeds that were really? impossible
1: for anything to move that fast obviously water so dense, this is right? a this is a navy f-18 squadron is operating in the same area as you're seeing these objects above your aircraft for a period of time absolutely and you're now finding out that they were reporting seeing lights under the water yes so what's what 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 the fuck yeah i don't
0: <laughs> I, well i still I, you know i don't know what it was and then uh um more air traffic controllers reached out and started asking me more questions and saying you know that they they wanted to talk about it they'd like to talk you know guys wanted to wanted to share more stories about what happened off the record because if they came out they said it wouldn't end well for them they'd probably lose their jobs but more people started coming out come to find out i found out from an air traffic controller that another uh believe it was a hawaiian airline guy had reported what i sort of what i saw mm-hmm. um it's similar but different, right? His was not over his aircraft. His was I think at a distance. But people had started reporting seeing weird things um uh, weeks before. And nobody would, before. and nobody would said nobody had said anything. So when I when my radar tape came or the radar tape I had, I sent it to Ben Hansen. Mm-hmm. So Ben Hansen put it on the internet. And once he put that on the internet, next thing you know, all these airline pilots started coming forward and saying, Hey, guess what? I saw something also. So it sort of opened the, opened the Pandora's box, and now everybody's coming out and talking about things that they've seen and people seeing lights flying. And um, so the pilots are talking about this. Pilots now. are coming out now talking about it, and I didn't I didn't transmit anything over the radio because I wanted publicity or anything. I was just doing my my duty as a pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, informing air traffic control or asking it. We uh, trained well, for that. I mean, I mean yeah, th- th- what is it?
1: reacted that way because that's the right procedure. It's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Like, having uncertainty in our operating space like that is the last thing we, we, we work towards. So, yeah.
0: You know, something else that's really weird, if I, was at, if I was on the ground or if I was at 12,000 feet in a Cessna, even at 25,000 feet in a Citation mm-hmm. flying and I looked up and saw the lights, I wouldn't even have looked up twice. I would have thought, yeah, okay. more airplanes. I okay. wouldn't even have thought twice.
1: Because you're so high. But what
0: got me was at 47,000 feet, and I know nobody's above us. Mm-hmm. Nobody is. You mm-hmm. know, and everybody starts saying, hey, it's probably military. I said, okay, let's say it is military. Where are the military landing lights? Mm-hmm. They're on the landing gear. You think a military pilot, a aircraft is going to fly around with its landing gear down? It wouldn't be able to maintain flight at that altitude. Yeah. And no military aircraft is going to make those kind of turns. I mean, who can make those kind of tight turns at that altitude? I know it's going to take me 10 miles on my Gulfstream yeah, to make a turn. And I have a massive 100-foot wingspan. What's it going to take if something? I don't know how big this was. I don't know if it was a, a small object, as small as a table, just a big light, or if it was a massive object. I don't know. Was, I couldn't see anything but the lights, yeah. which was really strange. And the lights never disappeared. The lights would, as they came on me, they were really bright. And then as they started to move away, but the lights were still, I could still see the lights. They never disappeared. Okay. Um, so they weren't directional. You know, they weren't they weren't fixed at a fixed direction. It was like a almost like a nav light on a on a bottom Yeah, where it's always there. Where it's always there. But it was more defined when it was coming around the circle towards me. It got really bright and then it faded out, but it was still there. It interesting, never yeah. disappeared. Interesting. It was always there. Hmm. And at the end, I believe there were seven total. Flying seven in, seven total i believe at the very end and flying in formation so i believe the fifth one joined them from above it was either the fifth or sixth one joined from above and then another one or two whatever order it was mm-hmm. and there were a total of seven at the very end oh wow but I, you could hear that on my air traffic control tapes when i Incredible. came in and i reported to air traffic control and that's when i that's when it really got me because i jumped on there and said hey One just joined it from above. Now there's seven, one or six or seven. One just joined from above, came in from above and joined them. You know, and and, uh, here's what's funny: I got a copy of the air traffic control tape Mm -hmm. um, of the lady making a call to her supervisor, and they were laughing about it. Um, And then when she said, "Well, hey, this guy is reporting it again," and he said he's an FA, he's a retired Marine F eighteen pilot then their attitude changed like okay this isn't just some whack job out there you know just making stuff up because i told them listen i've done mm-hmm. air, air i've done intercepts and everything i i've never seen anything like it yeah. so their attitude sort of changed mm-hmm. when they found out that i had a little bit
1: of credibility behind me
0: that, in, that seems to me as like
1: a lack of just integration into our our aviation safety framework in the united states I and mean, globally but even in the united states um, I, and I know they probably laughed just because they weren't familiar with the topic and what have you, but you know I, I believe that the policies and the procedures for reporting this and, and actually following up on the data are going to help alleviate that because
0: Well, I hope so, you know. because you know you shouldn't have it doesn't matter if I was an F18 pilot or if exactly. I was a, a student pilot. A sighting is aside. if somebody sees something that's unexplained, they should take every single report with the same enthusiasm, exactly. right It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anybody can get out there and make a story up, and it's up for the the evidence to speak for themselves. I wish I had video of it. Mm-hmm. I don't have video of it. All I have is my, my word and, and what I saw over the radio. But um, how many pilots don't say anything? I mean, it's obvious the airline pilots called in and yeah. said, you know, hey, yeah, we saw something, but they didn't want to say it over the radio. I wonder why that was. You know, I, I've talked to other airline guys, old – Retired airline captains, and mm-hmm. they said that it was against company policy. You know, you could lose your medical. They can think you have some psychological problems and you lose yeah. your medical, right? You lose your medical, you lose your job. You can't yep. fly anymore. Yep. Exactly. Uh, medical, not meaning medical... Uh, it's a, a meta, the medical doctor. You have to, to go develop. every year to the to an aircraft medical examiner and get evaluated by a doctor and says, "Hey, you're capable, you know,
1: competent to be a pilot. You mm-hmm. know, you're physically capable, of being a pilot." And you you essentially have to probably explain that. Even if they did like sign off on it, that would be like an issue. You'd probably have to discuss pro- every it, time. It would
0: it would if something got put in your record, your FA record, it never goes away yeah. ever. So even if it wasn't in your airline record, let's say they sent you in for a mental evaluation, it's mm-hmm. in your permanent record for the rest of your life. Yeah. So guys just don't want to deal with it. They, don't, they just want to put their head down and, and not
1: say anything. Yeah. Or they'll how make many, an anonymous call. How many right? people trying to go for a commercial airline job after they go in military want something like that sitting in their file?
0: Or how many just regular pilots that never went yeah. in the military? At least we have some credibility behind us. Yep. For what it's worth but how many guys are out that get their commercial license that are flight instructors that that see things that they don't know what they are and they don't want to report it because they don't want the stigma attached to it and i hope that uh i mean i don't care i'm not i'm not in fear of losing my job my boss is completely you know he completely trusts me and Mm -hmm. and um he's got confidence in me he knows i'm not going to make up a story for what am i going to get out of it (laughs) i've got nothing but hassle from it yeah you know as um, soon as, like, soon as the, the, it hit the internet, uh, I started getting all kinds of weird phone calls and harassing emails in my mm. social media. Oh, here's one i got to tell you. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this. So I posted that video. I posted that video online. Which video? The, the, the bootleg video the guy sent me from the radar tapes. Oh, he did? I posted that online on my, on my uh, Instagram and next thing you know, my Instagram was deactivated, Really, couldn't get access to it. Hmm. Very interesting. And I, I reported that to Ben also, let Ben know. And I also told, uh, there was another news station that talked to me about it. And I let them know the same thing that they had deactivated. They shut down hmm. my
1: Instagram account. That's particularly and, relevant right now as absolutely. Elon Musk uh, seems to be opening the curtain. Yeah, absolutely. Behavior.
0: And then uh, once all these other pilots started coming out and all this thing started hitting the news and people started talking about it, uh, guess what? My account came back online, but guess what wasn't on the account? The file was gone? My file was gone. Hmm. Strange how it works. Yeah, That was another weird thing. And, and then uh, somebody brought up that you know they wanted to put in a Freedom of Information Act through uh, Instagram, which I think is owned by Facebook, right? I think so. I think so. Uh, to try that to that find out why they... Why they shut my account down on why they deleted the file. Yeah.
1: someone uh, could figure that out. Which is really weird. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So how did that file end? They were laughing, um, you know, just generally kind of dismissive of the the, the sighting, if you will, right? Yeah. And then then what? Anything Um, else?
0: No, nothing else. They just, you know, they, they said they didn't know anything was out there. They couldn't see anything, and they basically just handed me off to the other controlling agency, and that was it. And then I heard a different file, um, that from, I think it was uh, later on in the morning that Ben Hansen was able to get a hold of, that of her calling her supervisor again, the one that she called, and they were laughing about it, called and said, hey, we've got, you know, whatever airline, air, airline whatever is reporting lights, and like, another one? <laughs> and then, you know, they realized, okay, something something's going on here. There's something being seen out here and they just didn't know what it was interesting yeah so there's other audio tapes from air traffic control so there's a there's still a FOIA. they're still trying to pull information from these guys to figure out what really happened and why the uh, radar tapes would have been corrupted
1: yeah that's disappointing Mm -hmm. Um, but i have a copy
0: of it thank thank goodness the gentleman that the the supervisor sent me a copy of it oh good and that's how it got out there
1: uh we're gonna pull up and we're gonna listen to that tape Footage that you provided, and we're going to hear what they have to say.
0: And then the F 18s were callsign shock.
1: Okay, got that. Off, Roger. off of the Carolina. Off the on ones us. that were seeing these objects Under, underwater. underwater. And they were seeing lights, too. Yeah, right? absolutely. Very interesting. All right, let's give this mm-hmm. a listen. Uh, so I have this Twilight 670 display like 25 west of LA at 47,000 feet. He said that there are three aircraft high above him, orbiting. And I don't know. Well,
0: that's kind of weird. In any
1: military space, he said, yeah, they're just kind of going around in circles. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> okay. And he said 47,000 feet, and he said they're pretty far above him. So yeah. I, I wonder if it's just like, I don't know. So the first uh, thing I thought was a satellite or Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. So, one, how did that make you feel with them laughing? Like, that... As from like a safety perspective, when would that be acceptable, really? Well,
0: you know, I didn't hear them laughing over the radio. Mm-hmm. It was only after I received the audio. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, language, it pissed me off, mm-hmm. you know, and that and, uh, made me feel a little bit better when I heard the the attitude change when they realized that, you know, I flew fighters and then they started taking it a little serious. But. It, it sort of more infuriated me because it shouldn't matter what I did in the past. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't. Somebody comes up over the radio, it doesn't matter if it's somebody who, like I said, just started flying or an astronaut, right? They see You're something- They're all held
1: to the same standard.
0: Absolutely, right? It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a student pilot or Story Musgrave, it doesn't matter. They, everybody should be taken at their word until they're proven otherwise. And if you are proven otherwise, you know, that, that's gonna be on you. Mm-hmm. You're gonna- and have
1: you thought about perhaps you know how we could better understand what these are how we could maybe reach some conclusion
0: you know it would have been great i mean they, you know they have ready alert aircraft i mean it would have been awesome if, if they would have launched some f-22 raptors up there to take a look at it mm-hmm. but you know they're not seeing anything but if you got pilots multiple pilots reporting things all the time why not why not do it i mean you know, you know as a fighter pilot i'd do it in a second if i was on ready alert and i'm just sitting around sitting around the room waiting to get called to go do something in air addiction I mean, that's what you're there for, yeah. especially as an Air Force guy, right? Why not send these guys up and try to do something? They have the most advanced radar.
1: I almost wonder what? if the commercial market could fill that need, if someone could provide a, a space-based sensing platform that linked right into the FAA and could look real-time and see these results from a different angle.
0: That would be great if they could do something like that. I mean, Elon Musk, is that would be the guy to do it. He's got so many satellites up there, right? He does have a lot. It would be great to have somebody up there that could uh, maybe not him do it, but somebody – you know, get some advice from him and watch what he's done and, and get up there and, and link up with him or I mean
1: if they're putting lights off of the, the vehicle, we should be able to measure that in some sense. Somebody should be able to see it. Yeah. Right.
0: What's weird is nobody's reported anything like this from the ground. Which is strange.
1: Mm. Well who would there who would like an like a pilot on the ground or a regular person? Just people on the ground. You know, yeah. if
0: if there's other there's other instances of of pilots seeing lights. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I hadn't seen your podcast until recently and I think they dubbed the uh, UFO the racetrack phenomena off of your podcast calling it a UFO racetrack pattern mm-hmm. and but that's what we were seeing is UFO racetrack pattern so yeah. everybody's seeing these racetrack patterns some of them might be explainable they might be satellites or something but I know what I saw there's no way there's a satellite yeah it's impossible nothing's gonna nothing's gonna orbit right over the top of you like that, and then something else join in from above, The satellites just don't do that.
1: Why did you call it a shooting star? Can you describe why yeah. you decided to name it like that? Did it have a trail?
0: No, no trail. It just looked like a, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see a shooting star, it'll come down. And you've got light, uh, bright ones. You've got some that have these massive, huge trails. Mm-hmm. Obviously, depending on the density and the size of the object, right? Mm-hmm. Entering the Earth's atmosphere. But it just looked like a, a small shooting star is what it looked like. Mm. But then um, it stopped. It stopped and joined the formation. Wow! So literally, it, it it literally came in and just joined the formation as it was circling.
1: It is pure slowdown.
0: Oh yeah, it definitely slowed down. I mean, it just came in and stopped with the formation. It just came in and stopped.
1: Did the luminosity was, change as you no, detected these no. changes? No,
0: looked at everything was exactly the same. The lights never. This was something else that was that you brought this up. The only time the lights would change. Intensity mm-hmm. is when they orbited uh, close to the aircraft. As really? they moved away from the aircraft right, yeah. and as they came towards the aircraft, they were the same intensity. The only time they changed is on that, on that one half of that loop. The, the back on, end. On the, as when they were circling by. That's the only time the lights got bright. Other than that, they stayed, they stayed the same. And they're they still were still like, visible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You can, they never disappeared. Yeah. So the fact that people are saying, they're, you probably were looking at satellites. Well, Satellites don't do 180 orbits like that, you know, 180 and 180. They don't do that. It was basically like an Air Force grinder, right? Yeah. The 15-scoon in the grinder. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like. But it turned out there were about seven of them at the end.
1: Mm. It was really weird. Well, how did that? How did that all just conclude? How, did you just as descend? they moved over? No,
0: as they moved over my aircraft, uh, I saw, that's the last time I saw them. But it took place probably over 20, 25 minutes, probably roughly. That long? Wow. Yeah. And then as the as they had moved over my aircraft, that was the last time I was able to visually see them
1: they and once they went out of your view and then you just were never able to pick them up again. correct they just disappeared
0: and then everything else was follow-up you know with people um, uh calling me or getting emails or text messages and
1: yeah let's talk about that why why do you think they felt the need to kind of reach out to you and have that conversation after
0: i was sort of shocked because i was a contractor on a flight Mm -hmm. on twilight 670 and twilight 670 is a uh, aircraft that's owned by a uh a prominent tech billionaire so his aircraft is blocked nobody has access to that information so they reached out to the controlling um manager of that aircraft to get my aircraft to get my personal information because i'm not a full-time employee with them i was just a contractor hired for that trip so they reached out to them to get my information it's the only way to get in touch with me only way to not even know who i was um so i don't know if the if the i think it was such a an impact on the center manager, air traffic control center manager, that he wanted to reach out to me. In my opinion, to say, "Hey, buddy, you're not crazy. You know mm. this. Here, here's the radar tapes." And I'm That's glad wow. he did that, yeah. or we wouldn't have those radar tapes. Yeah, I'm glad he did that. Well, they're corrupted now. yeah, sure. well, yeah. supposedly corrupted. Mm-hmm. And or, so, yeah, wow. That's incredible. And for him to tell me that they had gone into an emergency meeting and come out, and when they came out, the radar tapes were corrupted.
1: What was the emergency?
0: He uh, didn't tell me. He didn't know. He wasn't involved in the meeting. <laughs> yeah. But they were supposedly corrupted. So I hope I didn't put him, him at any peril or whatever by taking that data that he gave me and sharing it with the world. Because people you know, people have a right to know. I think of anything, um, any air traffic control should fall under whistleblower protection. Right. They should be able to speak out if they're getting reports from pilots, they should be able to speak out about it. Mm-hmm. Who's going to hear about it? Air traffic control. Of anybody else of pilots and everything. It's going to be the air traffic control people that are actually getting the first-hand reports of everything mm-hmm. from pilots, right? The pilots see it, but they're communicating over the radio. Air traffic and that's an official government record, right? Mm-hmm. Over, over frequencies, mm-hmm. and that stuff should be preserved and not just for 60 days, 90 days, however long air traffic control has it, but when that kind of information comes, that needs to be flagged and kept permanently for analyzing. Interesting. Um, that's, that's what needs to happen. But as they informed me, if they were to come forward, nothing good would have came of it. Basically, it would have been, they would have been lost their jobs, prosecuted, whatever. I don't know what, enough about air traffic control if they have to sign a non-disclosure or um, because they handle a lot of military aircraft, right? They might have a, they some have kind of security clearance. clearances, actually.
1: Yeah. Believe it or not, a lot of controllers—I uh, don't know if it what percentage of them do—but a significant portion do have. Uh, I, I think at least a secret clearance, you know. Because think about it—you know, the president's flying around. There's, you know, uh, maybe a lot of things that would fall under being classified, but that that is an option. So what I'm hearing is that you know, as we we talk to more pilots and we figure out what the the best reporting mechanisms are going to be for what you guys are seeing. Um, There's, you know, there's also a consideration to ensuring that the FAA controllers have same access to that reporting mechanism. It sounds like maybe sometimes the pilots won't identify a report because of whatever reasons. And same thing on the, on the controller side as well. Yeah.
0: I I understand the controller's concern about if there's a, uh, a top-secret aircraft or something out there. That Certainly. They're not supposed to talk about it. But somebody needs to get briefed on it. Um, you don't just discla- discount anything that anybody sees and, and say, oh, it's probably military or it's top-secret. But That's it, actively harming aviation safety if you do that. Then I mean, That's is. the
1: bucket you're taking from if you choose that method.
0: Well, they're just demonizing anybody who's coming forward also. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's a whack job, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, the, what people think. You know, and, and nobody wants to get that stigma. I received so much of it uh, after the stuff got posted online and, and on national news that um, I had everything from uh, people calling me crazy to people wanting me to father their children because they think they have some kind of <laughs> extraterrestrial connection. Here first? It, uh, I'm telling you, it's it's, <laughs> it, it, it's out there, but yeah. I can understand the stigma by nobody wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it as aviation safety, um, you know, my reporting, uh, was for basically safety like well what the heck is this and what's it out here and if you guys aren't seeing it as soon as they said they didn't see it that made me think well you know something's out here and air traffic control's not seeing it but i'm seeing it could it be could it be a safety issue with my aircraft could they collide with my aircraft Mm -hmm. what about other what about a passenger aircraft that's got 400 people on it you know it, it it's an aspect that everybody needs to consider air traffic control the federal government private industry, everybody should have an open door policy to be able to discuss any information, anything they see should go into a database and it needs to be verified. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just verified by, a, it needs to be verified by, by people who know what they're looking at, right? You need, you need a board of direct, you need people that are air traffic control, you need uh, prior military guys that have done air interception, air interdictions. You'd, it'd be great to have astronauts um, all kinds of scientists, mm. uh, engineers, electrical, astrophysics, Everything. I mean, it'd be nice to have a whole board of people to actually get together and say, hey, this is what we have, let's hear options. Let's, what is it? Yeah. You know? But there's not right now. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody's uh, scrutinized and criticized and laughed at. I'm seeing that change a little bit. So I hope so. From
1: my perspective, uh, I've been um, not receiving as much as it sounds like as you have been, but. I've been uh, engaging with the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics which is the largest um, air and space professional organization in the world with over 30,000 plus members and we've established uh, our own permanent committee within that organization to investigate an identified aerospace phenomenon uh, and yeah I did I have seen you know that skeptical take from people within inside that Institute uh, but we're at a point now where we've engaged with you know we have about 45 50 members. You know, probably upwards of a 1,000 years of you know, NASA experience spread out among the team uh, across industry and in the research labs. And these are you know, industry first credible people that are putting real thought and real consideration into how we're gonna understand this in the future. So I think that's really the best way to kind of move past that, that skepticism you see is just having a normal rational conversation about this around the data about this and making sure that we have the proper procedures in place to stop people from kind of giving in to that that fear-based response of laughing about this. Yeah, it's just a stigma. And, you know, something else I'd like to bring up is
0: how do we know this isn't some adversary country that's doing something within our airspace? So the federal government should take a really serious look at it.
1: They're and, in the eight is right. I mean, that's what that whole zone is for. That's the whole purpose. Uh, of it.
0: Absolutely. And if it's some foreign adversary that's in our airspace that we don't know about that air traffic control can't see, um, we need to know about it regardless mm-hmm. of what it is It needs to be taken serious. And, yeah. uh, I hope they start taking things serious. I hope they, uh, they start looking at pilot reports and uh, people feel free to come, come out and actually talk about it or report it without reprisal or, you know, scrutiny or, um, Fear of losing your job. That's probably the big one. Nobody
1: wants to lose their job. It's a very, um, once you're kind of in a position in the airlines, you're kind of there. You have your number. And if you leave, you go back to the bottom. There's no transferring seniority around, correct? There's, there's
0: nothing. Once you're gone, you're gone. Mm-hmm. And it could be as easy as the FAA pulling your medical. Yeah. They don't have to give you a violation. They don't have to do anything. They can wind up just pulling You can do nothing medical. wrong and just nothing. no longer be a pilot. And you're gone. Yeah. And In 10 minutes, you're gone. Yeah. Wow. and a whole lifetime of work i mean i've been a pilot since i'm 16 years old i'm going to be 53 this year and this month oh. and my whole life i've been flying and it could be over in a snap of a finger a still, stroke of a pen
1: yeah stroke of a pen do you still love it
0: oh yeah i love flying i fly every day i flew yesterday i'm flying tomorrow and monday and it's great i love flying i, guess- I went and actually bought a, a gopro and uh so now when i fly at night especially at night um i Put it on the glare shield of the uh, of the Gulf Stream, and I just record, mm. and I'll go back through when I have time and start looking. You think about this: how many pilots in the air spend more time looking inside the cockpit than looking outside? Oh yeah, big problem. Yeah, we just guys break out their iPads, and you know they're either watching movies or you know reading magazines, or they're doing something other than looking outside. Because mm-hmm. you know once you get I up mean, in the class Alpha, yeah. there's nothing up there. You're on air air traffic control. The autopilot's on. Nobody's out there looking in the sky. How many things are actually out there that they aren't seeing?
1: Exactly. be right next would. to the aircraft. You absolutely. Know, and, they never, and you don't have that great of a view, right? You can see maybe like 5% of the sky through yeah. your window. And yes, it's the 5% you care about in front of you, but uh, there's a lot of space that you absolutely have no visibility yeah. and on. You think about how many airplanes, just commercial, forget
0: the private, I mean, private, corporate, just mm-hmm. think about how many airliners are out there flying around, especially at night. Because if you're going to see something, that has lights on it you're going to see it at night mm-hmm. right think of how many airlines are out there flying at night all over the world and if all those pilots were able to actually have some kind of system that would actually monitor the skies or flying around that would be incredible you'd be able to see so many things wow even if they just incorporated it in the aircraft
1: i mean it sounds like i mean it sounds like you're seeing these things you know on a somewhat consistent basis i mean over the u.s right now
0: right now they're being seen all the t- all the time and right now in fact, right now, last night at 11.45 at night, I got a text message from a friend of mine, a Marine uh, F-18 pilot that flies for FedEx, and he sent me a, a text message at 11.45 last night saying he saw some more uh, orbs, I think is
1: what he called them, light orbs okay. um, over northern Canada. So how are we going to continue to gather data about this? For me, is kind of a concern because what's the most likely tool everyone's going to use inside the cockpit it's going to be their phone they're going to want to try to take a photo and of course that's not the best sensor for doing this but well, that's I, what you have with you
0: absolutely what i learned in all out of all this is the the phone is not the best camera system to capture anything there's a lot of anomalies that could happen with the ir camera ir strobe autofocus mm. um so that's why i went out and i bought a gopro that i can mount and it captures everything it's got a pretty wide lens and it's the uh, quality of the video is pretty good. Mm. And it'll uh, videotape a, majest, a vast majority of the sky that I'd like to later go back and look at. Um, since your cockpit duties a lot of times brings you in the cockpit, you're mm-hmm. changing frequencies and altitudes and airspeeds speeds and um, programming the FMS. So you can't have your eyes out all the time. But if for other pilots, of everybody were to keep their eyes out and not focus on inside the cockpit, you know, when you can, when you're, when you're up in yeah. cruise is where you're going to do it. There's going to be a lot more sightings. A lot of people are going to see things that are explainable and unexplainable. Mm. Um, And it would be nice if if they had some kind of uh, video recording system that they could uh, implement on aircraft Mm. to record every aspect of the flight at all times. I know they have the black box. Why can't they have some kind of video that records actual video? front? Yeah, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. A a widescreen, panoramic, something that would record... Something outside of the aircraft
1: that would be great. You have to promise the pilots only faces forward, though. Correct. Pilots <laughs> only
0: face forward, but that doesn't that no, doesn't. That's the what you want
1: to look, anyways.
0: Yeah. Well, what happens if they put something on the aircraft? What if they put a little dome on top of the aircraft with yeah. a with a camera recording system on it? Hmm. You know, it'd be really interesting to see. Forget all the unexplained, even the explained. Just think of what kind of safety aspect that would have on on the aviation industry in general, from everything, from being able to see things that, uh, uh, air close aircraft encounters to um, weather phenomena, to I mean, you name it, there's so yeah. many different aspects that they could use that to sell the data a, to, as a safety, you know, as yeah. something for safety. I yep. mean, you never know, right?
1: So was, the way I understand it now, if a, if a commercial pilot at a major airline was to pull their phone out and say, take a video of some strange object they were seeing or lights. Um, that they would be breaking rules most likely because they're not supposed to have your own personal devices while you're flying, is that correct?
0: Yeah, the FAA set that standard that you're not supposed to have your phone, you know, supposed to be in airplane mode, but um, if it's a distraction, they're worried about it, you know, interfering with navigational systems. And it's up, it actually comes down to the FAR state, it's the actually pilot in command of the aircraft who makes that determination. Hmm. But airlines, if they have a, a rule Um, You have to follow the rules set by the airlines, by the air carrier that you're flying for. So they just don't want people in there filming. I mean, you're opening yourself for lawsuits, right, if something happens. So I can understand the companies wanting to protect themselves and their investors um, from anything coming out of a video that might be shot Mm -hmm. inside of a cockpit, something where people could open up a lawsuit against them. I, I understand that portion of it.
1: Do you actively instruct right now? Yes. Do you talk to your students
0: about this? I do not. I don't talk to my students. They have enough on their plate to worry about with uh, learning the aircraft, learning aerodynamics, mm-hmm. and, and you know weight and balance, performance. Uh, I didn't. I wouldn't want to. I, I hate to use the word burden them, but yeah. I wouldn't want to put any undue stress on them. So it's
1: pretty new, new pilots. It, it's brand
0: new pilots. I do train commercial. I do at you know train guys for ATP and mm-hmm. stuff. But you know when you get into into higher uh, uh, ratings, airline transport pilot, which all airline transport yeah. pilot people. I've got have, one. Um, you know, those, those pilots, they, they have the the bandwidth to actually yeah. understand what you're talking about. And I talk about it with the guys in the Gulfstream, Gulfstream community, other guys. In fact, after my experience, what happened off the coast of California, um, the actual lead, they call it a cam, um, certified aircraft manager okay. on twilight Six Hundred and Seventy. him and I were talking, uh, and when he was a, he used to fly, uh, I believe it was P threes in the Navy. Okay. Yeah. He actually saw they were sent to intercept uh, something in his P3, and mm. they went out to intercept something. And uh, he said he saw some stuff that uh, he couldn't he couldn't understand what it was. And then he also saw something in Pensacola, Florida, that was doing maneuvers at such high altitude. And, and uh, he said there's no way it could have been anybody inside it because they would have been killed because of the amount oh. of G forces that would have been pulled. So I had told him what I had seen, you know, what happened on on his aircraft because he wasn't on the aircraft; he was with another contractor. Mm. Um, not three weeks later, he saw it. He saw something like that over, okay. uh, I believe it was like Ohio or something. Something
1: unexplainable or something visually representative? What they don't know it's what it was. Mean, yeah, they more lights. Just saw I mean, something they couldn't more, more lights that's yeah. falling in reference with a lot of the stuff the airline guys saw. How common do you really just think this is? Just Not even just the last eight months even, but just this whole topic just for pilots. I mean, you know, just to zoom you know, your way out.
0: Honestly, if I were to, if I were to, my own personal uh, guess would be it's been happening for years and years and it's been hovering ever since we started flying. Um, but people just don't report it. People don't see it. People don't look out mm-hmm. at, all, at the cockpit all the time. Like I said, when I made my initial report and I talked to the news, I told them, The second pilots start seeing this, it's like walking onto a stage uh, to give a speech. If you walk into a stage, an audience, and there's 500 people out there, how many people feel comfortable walking out in the spotlight by themselves? Very few people. But you put 10, 15, 20 people out there, other people have no issue walking out amongst the crowd because now the spotlight's not on them. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not spotlighted on them, it's on everybody, and they can hide behind people or you know, it, it makes them feel more comfortable. They're not being spotlighted. So I think once we get rid of the stigma of people being made fun of or you know, they, they understand that they're doing it for the better cause of aviation for safety. Let's all focus let's focus it all on safety. If they do it better for to better the cause of safety in aviation, uh, I think there's going to be a lot more pilots that come out and talk about it. I guarantee there's a lot of pilots that have seen things. They just don't want to talk about it. They talk about it in their small little groups, but they'll never go public with it because they don't want people to think they're
1: crazy. Mm -hmm. And there really hasn't been any like process or infrastructure or anyone to really talk about it too. Right. I mean, from my perspective, at least when I was speaking about it first, a lot of it was very much entertainment based or, you know, it was just, it was difficult to really have um, people who hadn't considered it, look at it agnostically in a sense. Um, And so, that's really what I think we're going to be able to do here and my hope is that we'll have more pilots on like yourself and you know you're welcome to pass an invitation um, we're going to be looking to have um, you know fighter pilots commercial pilots general general aviators here and you know I want to hear more of these stories and we'll, we'll discuss them seriously
0: yeah to have a forum where they can actually go and feel comfortable talking that's the key where they're not going yes. to get ridiculed that's going to be the, the key to everything because everybody wants their story to be heard no matter what it is how small how big everybody has the the desire to have their story heard mm. regardless of what it is yeah. and that but people don't like I said don't want to be ridiculed for it mm. me I don't care I'm not I came out and talked about this because I made the call over air traffic control strictly because I'm doing my my due diligence and my 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 uh, requirements as a pilot hey see something say something doesn't it that's like what everybody says yeah. right see something say something and then uh it just sort of spiraled out of control when I started getting radar tapes and people calling me and the Talk calling me. and um, I'm glad it happened that way because we've got all these other pilots that had seen it and now they're coming forward and talking about it because they didn't feel comfortable doing it before. Mm-hmm. It took one person, the, the guinea pig, to step out in the spotlight and now everybody else is jumping on the stage, which is great. I'm I'm glad for that.
1: Well, I'd like to extend an invitation, I think, to FAA controllers as well as pilots to come on and talk about this. I've
0: reached out to them, and I'll continue to reach out to them. We're trying to to get them to come forward. Um, It'd be great if they could be protected under the Whistleblower Act. I don't know why it would have to be a Whistleblower Act, but it would be great if they could just to come something out to make them feel more comfortable. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. You don't want somebody to lose their career over, over something they're, like this. They're in a
1: very much kind of similar track as pilots, as far as their career, huh? A little bit rank based. And well, they and work, work right for the federal government, right? Air traffic oh, control. Yeah. yeah, very much so. That's yeah. Right. So they can be terminated for
0: cause at any mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. for anything. We don't know what kind of contracts they sign or what kind of security clearances they have to sign. Mm-hmm. It could be like the military, right? We're not supposed to talk about certain things when we leave the military. Mm-hmm. Um, So they could be under the same, same guidelines with the FAA, but you know the FAA is, I can't say anything bad about the FAA. Um, The federal government, they just, you know, they're, they're not proactive; they're reactive. Right? They don't do anything. They only
1: do something when they have to do something. That's how it is, you know, in the Navy. That's how we write our emergency procedures, you know. And this is a little bit different tact, you know, trying to solve the problem before you know an aircraft is is taken down. yeah, it's about being proactive. And this conversation that we're having now, I think, is really one of the first steps in being more proactive about this. And so, you know, thank you for coming here today, Mark, and, you know, being proactive and standing up and, and doing what's right, in my opinion. Oh, well,
0: it's my pleasure. You know, I hope me coming out, talking to you about this, will get a lot, encourage a lot more pilots to come forward and, and tell us what they've seen or experienced or uh, uh, regardless of whether it's something that they might know what it is. Well, humans love mysteries right they love to solve the mystery so there's that mystery out there Mm -hmm. you know we want it solved and it until everybody cooperates we're not going to solve the mystery
1: yeah one of the things that we're going to be doing with this podcast as well in the future after we've brought on more pilots is going to be exploring different technologies uh, that might be useful in the future things that are available uh, off the shelf, if you will, that perhaps could be modified so that we can work to uh, build sensors and build technology that are going to be able to move the conversation forward proactively. So we, we intend this to be an active conversation uh, where we don't want to just, you know, go our own ways after the conversation. We want to, um, we want to be able to Take the great ideas and the new data that we have and go do something interesting with it. So, uh, you have applied to join the the Integration Outreach Committee, the UAP Integration Outreach Committee at the AIAA. So, there's also a number of other pilots that have um, witnessed things just like this, uh, both um, in the military and the commercial world, that have joined that organization or to help advise on policy uh, and reporting mechanisms. Um, I've been invited uh, the third week in January uh, to Fort Lauderdale to. Uh, attend a meeting with NASA's uh, study team, UAP study team and uh, a senior uh, member of the FAA will be there. So uh, perhaps it will be an opportunity for more clarity. So there are, there are existing trusted resources for safety reporting within the military, commercial, and NASA at the end of the day holds the authority for uh, aviation safety generally in the United States. And there are trusted programs that they've established. So we, we know how to do this, right? This isn't something we don't know how to do. We, we do this uh, every day in this country, report safety hazards. So it's really just about updating procedures uh it's it's a shame that our current procedures point us out to external just organizations to report this uh, according to current instructions if if you do see a quote-unquote ufo in the uh in the manuals now um you have if you should like to report it you don't have to you know desire or, or no no necessity to do so um you can report to external organizations and there's several of them right so the data is scattered and it's broken up and none of it is official anymore so really there is no practical uh, uh method for reporting this as it is right now that's correct yeah yeah mark thanks again for coming out thank you i appreciate you having me this was awesome